what an amazing place to be, uh, to be uh, slaves at the feet of our master, to be citizens before the throne of the king, to be children uh, right here at your feet, God, playing at your feet, honoring you. God, it is amazing to know that because the decision we made to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that uh, our life is now built upon that foundation of love, that expression of love that you demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I thank you, this decision we made, I, I don't even think any of us here, in the moment we made it, quite understood the vast ramifications of what that meant. But you did, every bit of it. And Lord, I thank you for this life that we now have in you, that you did not just, you didn't send Jesus so that we would be bad people turned good, but because we were dead, we were once dead in our sins, and you have now resurrected us with Christ. And we are now, not only in this new beautiful relationship, we are, we've been brought to life. God, I pray that every day, every moment that we spend from this moment forward would be spent understanding what it is to be alive in you and then to live that out. That none of us would return to the cemetery and want to start playing with corpses anymore, Lord Jesus. God, thank you for the glory of knowing that you have chosen us, that you love us, and that in response, we get to love you. We thank you. We pray for your blessing over this time, for your spirit to lead and strengthen us, and for you to make our hearts receptive if it is not already, for us to receive that which you eagerly desire to give to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to 2020. Uh, I know it's been like a couple weeks, but this is the first time I've been up here this year, and it's funny. I have a little bit of nerves, and I don't know why, because I've been doing this for a lot of years, but it's, it's exciting to be in front of our, our people again. All right, so with that, we're going to dive into our series. So this year, uh, starting in 2020, we decided to launch with a series that we've entitled Sketches on leadership. And part of the rationale, the driving force behind this was to take the idea to highlight some of the women and men who were part of the first century building the church, the, being a part of the work of building the church in the first century. And so that's really exciting. And I think it's a great, uh, it was a great series to start off on because oftentimes what we do in church is we come together and we go through the scriptures and we say, all right, God, what is it that you want to teach us so I can apply it to my life? And sometimes I think when we do that, over time, what we get into this habit of doing is thinking that the Bible is there for our edification. Does that make sense? The Bible is there for our good so that we learn to obey, so that we live better lives and more honoring God's lives. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. I'm just saying that God takes front and center, right? And I just want to make sure that we're always reminded of that and that the example of those set who went before us in obedience are examples that are worthy of being followed. When we talk about ideas like God's love, God's grace, and God's generosity, it really doesn't mean as much as if it's not lived out in the lives of people. And so what we wanted to do is go through this series, take the time to be able to walk through and say, all right, who are some of those women and men that we want to take some time to highlight 
to say, look, not only were they obedient, the way they responded to God reflected who God made them to be, right? They, were, they honored God their way because they were built a certain way, their personality, everything changed. So obedience looked a bit different for them, and maybe some of us can really relate because we're built like them too. And then for the others of us, it's like, you know what? We can still see that as an example that we can learn from. And so that's what we're going to do over the course of this series. Andrew last week kicked us off with uh, Titus. And I just want to say, I don't even know if you know, Titus has always been a special book of uh, the Bible for me. It's the only book of the scriptures that I ever memorized completely from uh, chapter 1 to 3, right? And uh, part of the reason why is because our pastor in college, Matt Gordon, had the leadership team memorize the book of Titus, in particular those who were going through the LDP and, and, and all that fun stuff. So we had to memorize the book of Titus. And uh, the really cool part is when we got to the end, we were supposed to run through each chapter with a partner. And so we recite from memory, and they have the card in front to kind of check us, and then we, we flip and reverse it. And I remember I was on a bus ride, and my partner happened to be Gisela, and this was before we were dating. And I just thought, wow, that was really cool, but I was already kind of liking on her a bit, and so we just kind of go through this, and it was really cool. So that's kind of a sweet memory, and that's what Titus does for me. But uh, Titus, anyway, what Andrew was sharing, right, uh, the idea, appoint qualified men to take on the responsibility of leading well and to proclaim the truth with boldness. That's one of the messages of Titus, right? To challenge the older men, older women, younger men, younger women and slaves, how they are to live in their current season of life, how to be obedient, how to live godly and to live righteously. And that's kind of the essence of what, Andrew, not your exact points, but that's kind of the essence of what Titus represented. And this week, we're going to focus on another one of Paul's trusted leaders, and that's Timothy. Timothy was, a, uh, was also a disciple of Paul, who was running the race alongside Paul. He's probably best known for the two books of the Bible that bear his name, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. I probably didn't need to say that, because you probably would have figured that out. But that's who they are. Timothy is an interesting character. He was uh, racially mixed. And so his mama, so he was, you know, I, my, my wife and I, I'm Chinese, my wife's Cuban, so we call our kids Chinubans, right? Just kind of a mix of Chinese and Cubans. So they're Chinubans because they're mixed. So, so uh, Timothy would be a, uh, a, a, a Jeep, right? So Jewish and Greek. So I know that doesn't sound very good, but I was just kind of mixing the two together. His mama was a Jew and his father was Greek. And here's what that meant. It meant that because his mom was Jew and his dad was Greek, he was very well-versed in both cultures, both the Jewish culture and the Greek culture, which later on became a tremendous asset for Paul, that I want to take you along, a young man who is a believer and well-versed in both cultures. Um, one of the reasons, um, or uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it shares this about Paul when he ends up on his second missionary trip going to Derby. This is taking place after Paul separates from Barnabas, and he takes Silas with him on this missionary journey, and he ends up in a place called Derby in Lystra, and this is where he finds Timothy. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there's a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. So, Timothy didn't necessarily learn about faith necessarily through his dad. He learned it through his mom and his grandmom. That's what it says later in the scriptures in Timothy. Where uh, So I'll go ahead and read that. It says in 2 Timothy 1.5, I remember your genuine faith, 
for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So if you can imagine little Timothy, when he was a little kid, he was sitting at the feet of his grandmom and his mom and learning about stories of Adam and Eve and hearing about Abraham and how Abraham left everything he knew to follow God into the promised land, a place he did not even know and maybe even didn't even necessarily desire to go, but he was called to and he obeyed. Heard stories about Moses and how God's great power was demonstrated through Moses and leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. Heard stories about King David and how he was a man who was after God's own heart. Even though he experienced a tremendous failure, he kept his eyes on the Lord. Heard stories about Solomon and the prophets and so on. And if you can imagine his grandmother and mother telling him these stories and him sitting at their feet and learning. And then when Lois and Eunice became believers, they sat Timothy down and says, hey, this is faith come to fruition. You know that prophet that we've been telling you, or what the prophecies have said about the Messiah who are com who's coming? He's here. He's come, and his name is Jesus. Put your faith in him. And he believed because of them. And I just want to share that. I know there's a total aside, but I want to say this just to remind you moms, that what you do is valuable, right? What you do is so important. And I know dads are in the mix too, and I'm just... But I know for my kids, right, I, I wanted to be my, a dad for my children who raised them and taught them about discipline, taught them about integrity, taught them about what it means, especially for my son, to be a man, and for my daughters, what it, you should be looking for, right, to set that example of Jesus for them. But my wife was the one who day after day, moment by moment, was laboring to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord, right? And I just want to say your sacrifice has not been in vain. What you do that work that you do, that you lay your life down for sacrificially, it has eternal value. I want to thank you for it, right? Timothy was the blessed, one of the ones who received that blessing. So he's multiracial, multiethnic, coming from a faith that uh, he learned in his early life, sitting at the feet of his mama and his grandmom, and he's cultivated a good reputation among his neighbors. And so this is who Timothy was. So when Paul comes to Lystra and he's asking around, he's meeting the different believers here, he's sharing the gospel, he realized, you know what? Some people have already come to faith. Maybe from an earlier mission trip here, because uh, he'd come here before. Some people have already come to faith, and there's one of them who stands out, a young man named Timothy, who despite his age, has cultivated a good reputation amongst all of the people here, and I want to bring him and take him under my wing. So Acts 16, verse 2 and 3, but there was an issue at stake, a very interesting one that we're going to go through, and here's what it says in Acts 16. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. And then, in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Paul has Timothy circumcised. Let's start here. First of all, circumcised? Circumcision is a painful procedure. If you don't know what circumcision is, oh my gosh, how do I explain it? It's, uh, it's, it happens to men only. It's cutting the foreskin off a man's privates. And it's done in obedience to basically say that as a person who wants to honor God, right, uh, I will get circumcised to become a Jew in order to follow after God. That was how it worked in the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be a follower, if you wanted to be part of the children of God, you were either a Jew or you had to become one by law. And circumcision was one of those steps that needed to be taken. 
Well, here's the challenge. Paul didn't believe that circumcision was required for salvation any longer. The Jews, many Jews still did. They said, Jesus or not, the law has taught us that if you want to be part of the people of God, you must become one of the people of God first, to become a Jew first, and that involves circumcision. Paul argued that is not true. That's what Acts 15 was all about when they went to the council and said, hey, is this necessary? And they said no. As a matter of fact, in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2, when Titus faced the same issue, Paul said, no, 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 you're not going to circumcise my boy. That's not going to happen because that's not required for salvation any longer. And yet, here, after all of that, after Paul spent all this time fighting for the fact that circumcision does not make you saved, he now has Timothy circumcised to appease the Jews. Why would he do this? That's the craziest thing, isn't it? And it's not like it was a simple procedure. This is like painful. And he's having someone he just met do this, right? And Timothy led him. And uh, I don't have all the answers. And I, don't, I don't necessarily know. But I suspect that what has happened here is the difference between Titus and Timothy was Titus was fully Greek. Timothy was a Jew because his mama and grandmother were Jews. And so... Uh, in order to be able to effectively reach the Jews, Paul said, I don't want there to be any hindrance. If we were just fighting the battle here, I'd fight for you not to get circumcised. But if you want to travel with me and we're going to go share the gospel in multiple places around the world, and there's going to be Jews everywhere who have the same idea, right or wrong, in this case wrong, I don't want your lack of circumcision to be an obstacle to the gospel. So he had Timothy circumcised in order to be relevant in sharing the gospel. I just want you to keep that in mind. Sometimes when we talk about whether or not we should, who we should hang out with or how we are to accommodate the world in order to reach the world, I just want you to know Paul had Timothy circumcised so he would have grounds to talk with the people he wanted to reach. What will you do, right? All right. So that's, that's uh, not that you should get circumcised. But anyway, uh, so it was a bold step. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, I imagine that when Paul did this, I thought back to that verse in 1 Corinthians 9 that says, when I was with the Jews, this is Paul speaking, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. Everyone who's ever done mission work, we understand this, right? When you go to a foreign country, you submit to the laws of that country, you adopt the customs, and you try to adjust in order to reach the people you're wanting to reach out to, right? In order to connect or relate to the people you're reaching out to. That's all Paul is saying here. He's saying in order to reach Jews, I became like them in order to reach them. I submitted myself voluntarily to the law in order to reach them. So, Paul had Timothy circumcised. He probably should have written here that, yeah, I became like a Jew. I also had Timothy circumcised. You know, he sacrificed with me in order to reach them effectively. That brings us to the first of two leadership lessons I want to share with you all today from the life of Timothy. And this is what that first one is. It's a first leadership lesson specifically designed, I think, for you younger women and younger men here in the church. For you younger women and for you younger men, grow your Grow your faith. The foundation Timothy built of faithfulness was what allowed him, became the springboard for him for everything that came for him afterwards. In 1 Timothy 4, God shares this, right? Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. 
Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. We're going to come back to that one, but I want you to note that as young believers in your head. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourselves into the tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. I love this charge given to a young leader, especially in a church like ours, right? That we talk about being a church that's reaching the next generation, right? Reaching young singles, young families, young at heart. And part of that culture, part of what that means is that we're not in church for our benefit. That for those of us who are part of church, we're always looking at how can I add value and help those who are younger than me mature, right? So not only am I growing in faith, but I'm growing in faith for a purpose, not just to obey and honor Christ myself, but to help others do the same. That's the DNA of what Awaken is all about. And I love that that charge is reflected here, right? And I want to note a couple of things from what Paul shares here. First, God does not measure you by your age. I want that to be clear, right? Your age matters maybe to everyone else looking from the outside, but it doesn't matter to God. And what that means is, first, don't let anyone despise you or look down on you because of your age. And second, that you are not allowed to, as a Christian, use your age as a reason to be irresponsible or stupid, right? Or lack of, or be, to be unfaithful, either. Your being young doesn't release you from the responsibilities you have to obeying Christ and to following after him with all your The fact of the matter is, right, when we go through this, what Paul says, his instructions are specifically saying, I don't want to give you room to be despised, and I also don't want to give you room to make excuses, right? In the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, set an example. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. If you don't know what that spiritual gift is, take the time to discover it. Our church will help you. Discover that gift and then lean into it, right? It says give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself in a task. Do you know what else is part of being young, like young and also a believer, being a, a believer who happens to be young, right? It means you work hard, right? This is the season in which you work diligently. And part of working hard is I work hard at my faith, not just my craft, but my faith and character as well. That realizing that, that, that working hard is building a foundation of faith and character that will sustain me for the rest of my life. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching, right? Stay true to what is right for your own salvation. So there's a number of you who are younger in here, and you've grown up with the same blessing Timothy had. You grew up in a Christian family, and yeah, your family wasn't perfect. None of our families are perfect. But you grew up in a family of Christians. Your mom and dad, they brought you to church. They got you involved in Sunday school. They taught you the stories of the Bible. And I just want to say to you that if that's, Timothy had that same blessing, he didn't squander that blessing. And I hope you don't either. You've been given a great gift by your family, by your parents, a gift that many people don't have today. 
right? Don't waste it. They've given you the opportunity to, have a, to lay a foundation of strength from which your life of faith is going to be built upon. Don't waste it. And then I realized that there's some of you in this room who are younger who's like, I didn't quite have that background, right? My wife and I didn't. Both of us became Christians when we were in our late teens. That's okay. Let the church be your family, right? Get under someone's wing. We've got plenty of people here who are willing to be spiritual fathers and mothers to you. Take the time, take the initiative and say, hey, look, I know I'm young, but I want to grow. If you're someone I admire, I appreciate, would you take some time and just invest in my life? Go ahead and do that. If that's too hard a step to take, get involved in our men's ministry that's getting launched this semester, right? Tim's going to do an amazing job with it. I'm already jealous and envious. But you get around these guys, right, that are mature and growing and, like, get to know them and let them build into your life. There's a fantastic women's ministry. One of, the, one of our strengths of our church has been the women's ministry and the way they disciple younger women. Get involved in the women's ministry your young lady, right? And let these women speak into you and build your life and help you build that spiritual foundation. Grow your faith. Discipline yourself to do the hard things that will help you become a man or woman respected for their faith. So maybe you're in here and saying, all right, I hear you. I'm willing to consider doing those hard things, to be a man, to be a woman of faith. What are those hard things? 2 Timothy 2 shares what some of those might look like, starting in verse 22. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, joy, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Let me share with you, young men, young women, what these hard things are that you endure. First, run from youthful lust. Let me tell you, when you're young, and I've been, it wasn't all that long ago, right? When you're young, you have a lot of different lusts and desires and passions. That's fine. That's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's some that are going to lead you to bad places. They'll lead you, in the Bible, it says, lead you to death, right? Don't indulge those. Run. But what I love about the scriptures is oftentimes when we think about bad things, the way our mind tends to go is I'm going to avoid bad things. But then we keep thinking about them, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, but they're there. No, 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 I can't do that. No, but they're there. I can't do that, right? And inevitably you find yourself over time, you're like, well, let me just try a little bit. The scriptures don't tell you just to run, right, or just to run from. Here's what it also says. It says pursue, instead, pursue righteous living faithfulness, love, and peace. Well, God's solution to fleeing youthful lusts is, I don't want you to just run away from, I also want you to know what to run towards, right? In other words, I don't want you sitting thinking about all the things you shouldn't be doing. I want you to instead say, I'm going to avoid those, and instead, I'm going to pursue, chase after these things, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. It also says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You know what that means? It means, you know what, as I'm doing this, I need to find friends and people that I'll get in my life that are doing the same thing. Because you shouldn't run that race alone. 
Run it with people who have that same heart, that same burden. Don't get involved in foolish arguments that starts fights. I know that may seem crazy or, or silly. I'm just going to say to you, I remember vividly being a young man and always wanting to win fights. I love being right, right? I love winning arguments, and I got into a lot of them just to prove that I was smarter than someone else or to prove that I had a better argument or I was more right, right? And now I understand, looking back, I was like, gosh, I was so stupid. I engaged in foolish, foolish battles that were unnecessary for my sake, not because of God's, right? A servant must not quarrel but be kind to everyone. It says be able to teach. I want to explain that, what that means for you young people, because it's like, well, I'm not in a position to teach. Why is that relevant to me? Here's why it's relevant for you. You learn differently when you learn to teach someone else. Right? When you're simply learning for your own sake, you'll take notes, you got little check marks, and you're like, all right, that was cool. You put your journal away, you put your notes away, and you never think about them again. But when it's like, hey, I've got to take what I'm learning and instruct someone else, you learn differently. You start thinking through, all right, how do I take what I have learned and package it simply in a way that's understandable for someone else to learn as well? I think that's what Paul is saying here. Not that all of you are going to be in a position to teach, like teach this large group or whatever. But you should learn as if you're going to, because that will help you learn better. Right? And perhaps gods will change people's hearts. They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they've been held captive to do whatever they want. So don't get into fights. Be patient with difficult people. If you don't know how to do that, my wife and I did a seminar at Faith Walkers. Tune in, right? Or come talk to us. We'll help you deal with difficult people, right? Prepare yourself to not only defend the truth, but to teach it. And I know, I know, I know, this is going to be hard. Honestly, been there, had to live through it and struggle through it. I didn't do it perfectly. There are flaws in my character that even today drive me nuts. And I just, I'm terrified it's going to get exposed and destroy my life and destroy the lives of those around me, right? I don't know if any of us will do it perfectly, but it's worth the investment. Spend your time now doing the hard work of building a solid, godly foundation because that will be what you will build the rest of your life upon. Grow your faith. So after Paul circumcises Timothy, they begin to travel together on their second missionary journey. They go from city to city throughout Asia and eventually over to Macedonia, which is like Europe area, and they travel to all of these different cities, and Timothy has been with Paul the entire time, that even though he's a mature young man, there are things Paul teaches him about what it means to test your faith, to build character and strength that he is learning, and they get to this city called Berea, right? And in the Bible, it talks about how the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. And so uh, they come to this city called Berea, where they teach these more noble-minded people who, instead of just reacting to what Paul is teaching about the Messiah and the gospel and the scriptures, they're actually like, you know what? I'm not sure if I believe what you're saying, but let's pull out the scriptures and let's see if what you say is true. That's what it meant to be more noble-minded. Paul realized that I want to continue my journey, but here's what I'm going to do, Timothy. You've been traveling with me over this time. I'm going to leave you here in Berea while I, I, uh, I was going to say fly to Athens, while I sail to Athens because flying wasn't real back then. So anyway, so, and the reason why this is important is I want you to realize for those of us who are involved in discipleship relationships that you take the time to build into another person's life, but at some point you need to empower them to stand, Right? Empower them to lead. 
if that's not what is built into your discipleship process, then there's something lacking here. And I love that Paul sets that example. He's like, I've trained you, I've prepared you, I've equipped you, now I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm not throwing you to the wolves, I'm not taking you out in Corinth, right, with those crazy whacked out people. I'm giving you the Bereans. They're noble-minded, they'll think, well, they're good people for the most part. You stay here, and from these new converts, you raise up disciples, you do what I've taught you to do, what I've shown you I've done, and I'm going to go to Athens and continue the work. So he sails off to Athens. I almost said fly again. He sails off to Athens, and then when in Athens, he calls Timothy and says, hey, whew, hey, buddy. I can't whistle, but hey, Timothy, come on back to me. I want you to catch up to me wherever I am. Your time is done. I want to check up on how you're doing because when you're discipling people, there's still accountability that has to take place, right? So he wants Timothy to come to him and say, hey, I want to hear how you've done, and then I'm going to send you out again. And this pattern starts playing out over and over again in Paul's second and third missionary journey where Timothy travels with Paul. So, Paul, so Timothy catches up to Paul in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, and there they labor together working with a very, very difficult church. But this is the pattern that plays out, which you're going to see over time. My wife told me telling you all these cities is just too confusing, so I'm just going to tell you what happens, right? The Cliff Notes version. Paul and Timothy travel together, disciple. Paul says, Timothy, I trust you. Take this group, build habits of discipleship, uh, raise up leaders, speak the truth against those who lie right, or, or teaching falsely. After a while, Timothy, come on back. Let's get refreshed. Let's get encouraged. How did things go? Fantastic. Hey, you ready? I'm sending you someplace else. Bam. So this is the pattern that happens over and over again, repeatedly, until Paul gets imprisoned. While in prison, Timothy is one of his comforters, right? So now Paul can't travel anymore. So what Paul does is he's like, I'm going to write letters and I want them delivered to the churches where I want to preach and speak at, but can't because I'm in prison. And Timothy is one of those who is faithfully at his side, comforting and encouraging him. And while there, Timothy co-writes three of the prison epistles, and six of Paul's letters overall are co-written with Timothy. That's part of his legacy. But that's not all Timothy is doing. He's not just hanging around Paul uh, the entire time. He also goes and leads the church at Ephesus. And while at Ephesus, he's not only leading the church there, but he's also rooting out false teachers. He's raising up new elders and new deacons and deaconesses. And in so doing, in AD 64, he is named the first bishop of Ephesus. That's the story of Timothy, right? Into his, his middle-aged years. You know, when I was going through his life, Here's the funny thing for those of us who, who maybe go through Timothy and study Timothy, maybe you're like me. I always think of Timothy as a young man, and I don't always think about the fact that that young man grew up, right? And as remarkable as Timothy was as a young man, how did he sustain his faith and live out his faith even as he got into his older years? And so young in age, mature in faith, but didn't remain young in age forever. So when 64 AD, when he became bishop, Part of me is curious. I'm like, I wonder how old he was when he was ordained bishop of Ephesus. And at that time, likely, some would say that he was born in AD 17, somewhere around there. I don't know, but he was in his mid-40s, right? So, you know, the prime of your life, the best time to live, right? That's just kidding. Okay, so he was in his mid-40s. And so Timothy had given the best years of his life to serving Paul, to advancing the gospel, to leading churches, to raising up leaders, right? Which brings us to the second lesson, the second leadership lesson I want to share from the life of Timothy. Fight the good fight. 
fight the good fight. You know, First and Second Timothy are some of the final letters that Paul writes. And so Paul is writing as an older man to Timothy, a man who is no longer young but in his prime, spiritual prime at least. And he challenges, the challenges he writes in those letters are in particularly important, right? And he's, one of the things that Paul consistently does in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy is in his charge to Timothy, continuously telling him, guard against complacency. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he shares this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I want you to realize, Paul is saying this to Timothy. Not a church, not tell everyone else. I'm saying this to you, mature leader, who has run the race with me for years. You are not immune from this temptation. Guard against it. As a matter of fact, the older we get and the more we desire comfort, the more, the greater a temptation this is going to be. But as for you, O man of God, in other versions it says for you, Timothy, right? Uh, Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. I love, you see this pattern again? Paul says, flee, run away from this and instead pursue this, right? Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus. This is what it means to fight the good fight of faith. Know what to run away from, complacency, the craving for wealth, the craving for comfort, and instead pursue these things. And from that foundation, here, Timothy, is what I want you to teach. Verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience the true life. Look, being rich, having wealth is not a sin. It's not a bad thing, but it is tempting. It is tempting to start thinking we earn this and we get to use it for our benefit. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. He's like, guard against that temptation. And Timothy, I want you to guard and I want you to teach others to also be guarded in this area. Keep fighting against complacency and know what it is that you must pursue. Don't get comfortable. And stop expecting age and maturity to give you privilege. Right? I think that's another part of what happens when we grow older in the faith, is we start thinking, I fought the battles, I've run the race for a time, I don't need to do the things that those younger folks need to do. Stop looking at maturity and older age as being a point of privilege and say, no, I now have a greater opportunity to serve and to set an example for those who are coming after me, right? Being older in the faith or even being a Christian leader for a long time 
doesn't mean that the lessons being taught don't hold relevance for you or the obligations of church no longer apply to you either. That's just not true. Fight the good fight. Paul was martyred in 68 AD, so not soon after, or not long after uh, Timothy was made bishop of Ephesus. And after his disciple or mentor was killed, Timothy returned to Ephesus, where he faithfully served the church there. According to, tradi- according to tradition, Timothy was 80 years old when in his beloved city of Ephesus, there was this promenade of, uh, the, um, of pagans who had long opposed Timothy, marching through the city with an idol in one hand and clubs in the other hand, crying out praises to their idols. And Timothy was so disturbed by that that he came out and he went into the crowd and said, stop blaspheming honor God. And in return, these pagans turned against him, and they took their clubs and beat him mercilessly until he was dead. I, uh, it's funny. I know I need to wrap up. I'll just say this. I, uh, I love that being the ending of Timothy's story, although it's not really an ending, right? But I know that some of us in this room, we don't like stories that don't have happy endings. And I know that because my wife's one of them. She needs to have happy endings in her story. And it's really interesting. I debated whether or not this is where I wanted to leave you guys. And uh, I decided it was. And here's why. Um, You know, sometimes, and maybe I'm just weird, and if I am, just ignore what I say next. But you know that idea of happily ever after? Have you ever thought about what happily ever after really means? Happily ever after, it's a nice little rap, but when you think about what it really means, it means whoever we're speaking, that couple that we're talking about, live happily ever after, that means they remain faithful until the end. That's what happily ever after means, right? If that's the case, then Timothy's story is a happily ever after story. He remained faithful to his Savior until the very end. He did not compromise. He did not waver. He did not turn to the left or to the right. It maybe doesn't fit your fairy tale mindset, but that's what happily ever after means. And I pray, I want for all of you, for all of us, to have happily ever after stories as well. And to have that story, you remain faithful until the end. You run hard to the finish line. Amen? And we will then receive the glory that God has in store for us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, for this time, for being able to celebrate Uh, those who have gone above and beyond to sacrifice in this church for our church to be able to take that step of going above and beyond and and sacrificing and serving together, to know, to be reminded that this is what it means to be part of a family. And Lord Jesus, to be thankful for the example of Timothy and to be able to learn from that example. And Lord, I thank you for the example of a man who gave his life from a young age to following after you with all faith, diligence, and discipline. And Lord, I pray that we would live the same way. I'm excited because this isn't an idea. We're not just teaching ideas that if we do might be good for us, right? We're following after the example of someone who has proven, who's been tested and proven that it is possible, not only possible to live this way, but inspiring and that we can follow in their footsteps. And I pray that we would follow in Timothy's footsteps, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you for your grace towards us. And um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.